This is the Gary V Audio Experience. Cause we're gonna be I'm obsessed with the notion of all of us who are listening right now want to achieve something. Whether we want to sell something, whether we want to run for government, whether we want somebody to know about um, our, our daughter's music skills. And the way you do that is by getting somebody's attention and then telling them something. I am fascinated by podcasts, by Facebook ads, by KOLs, by all the different things happening in the world in all the regions. And I think some things are very overpriced, you know, direct mail, billboards, television commercials, and I think some things are underpriced. Forementioned KOL. So that's what I do. Uh, and uh, along the way, I've built my brand quite a bit. I've written four New York Times bestselling books, and I give keynote speeches all over the world, including one here today in Singapore. Mm. I thought it was very interesting that you mentioned KOL because mm-hmm. key opinion leader is a term that's used in China. So yes. your understanding of China is probably pretty interesting. Yeah, I mean, look, I you know, as you you know, and now to update all of you, I've been very thoughtful of entering the Asian market mainland China. Until we were talking earlier, I, I like many Americans do think of it as mainland China. Then I put Japan and Korea into a bucket, and then I think about the rest. But I'm very aware of Singapore, Malaysia, Jakarta, things like that. I think about it thoughtfully. I, I, you know, I pride myself in being open-minded and thoughtful. I think American business men and women tend to be closed-minded. We're very insular. You know, it's something people don't understand about Americans. Um, so I've been very thoughtful over the last four or five years paying close attention. I was an angel investor in PATH. So I, obviously I knew a lot of what was going on here. And again, I, you know, I, I think that there's so much real purebred entrepreneurial spirit in the overall Asian market that I've been watching from afar. Early this year I took my first trip to Hong Kong. Now I'm here in Singapore. VaynerMedia has real ambition to open an office here. Uh, I have ambition to be in mainland China twice next year. Japan, Korea, uh, Malaysia. So yes, I do have an understanding. And there's obviously many things that the mainland China companies are further ahead than the US markets. Uh, and there's also uniqueness in Southeast Asia, uh, uh, you know, platforms and execution that I'm always paying attention to because I try to figure out, do they make sense in an American environment? How are our citizens different? What are the infrastructure differences? But yeah, I, I really wanna win and I think you can't win in the next 40 years without being thoughtful in every part of the world, including Africa and South America and things of that nature. I have enjoyed your books because you always thought about social media as a way to grab attention and yes. the way you think about how to get customers to come towards you. A very customer-centric yes. viewpoint. So I only have two questions before Please. I'm going to move to that, to the rest of the more interesting stuff. Can you share about how you think of social media that has evolved from the past to today and what are your favorite social media tools? So I think the only thing that's evolved, it, you know, and if you read Crush It, which I wrote in 2008, came out in 2009, I'm as big a buyer of this revolution as anybody and I'm glad I put it on paper, right? So I think the only thing that's really changed is nobody doubts it anymore. This is changing governments and society and propaganda in a way that now it's, you know, I, I laugh when people, I have business meetings where people literally spend the first 20 minutes talking about Russia invading America through its Facebooks and this, and then all of a sudden we get to marketing and they tell me Facebook's not that big, they should still do television. I'm like, wait a minute, what about the first 20 minutes when you said our entire government's being overthrown by social media, but now to sell your blouses or your soda, it's not important? So I think the only thing that's changed is people's acceptance of it and its scale. My favorite right now is definitely Instagram um, because of its flexibility 
and because of its overwhelming attention and because um, if you're trying to sell something to somebody 20 to 45, it is the platform along with Facebook but a little bit more because under 27, it's got so much more juice than Facebook. Um, and, that, and that is you know, obviously in all the markets that Instagram is and some, some of the people listening here, it has not penetrated that market but um, that is my favorite right now. Mm. I enjoy your books. One of the things is your, the way you think about business pragmatism and of course the story of your family business. So I wanted to talk about your two books, Crush It and Ask Gary Vee and since you are here. So in Ask Gary Vee, I, I know in the first ep- chapter you talk about the clouds and the dirt as a metaphor of looking at high level principles such as bring value to the customer, always play the long game of lifetime value. Can you talk about how do they guide you in terms of how you think and how you execute? Because you, I, you, you seem to be able to bridge it pretty quickly and you feel that execution is really the key to everything. So it's super interesting. I'm really enjoying, this is such a great way to start my trip. Uh, I just want everybody to know I'm about to pay your host here a huge compliment. We don't know each other, but I have a funny feeling we're gonna know each other for a very long time. I meet a lot of people. I wish, well I, I have the film, so if any of you guys, maybe we'll, maybe we'll send it to you and you can use it for another podcast. You said something now in your question I'm listening to the way you're asking questions and then obviously I have the benefit of last hour and realizing how thoughtful you are. Something that I'm becoming more in tune with is I'm the most consumer-centric thing that I know of. Other people, other businesses. I'm watching how uh, two of my partners in crime, Rice and David DeRock, just reacted. I'm unbelievably consumer-centric. So clouds and dirt. My thesis is if you care more about the end consumer than you care about your own self, you will win. So I talk a lot about 5149 for people that really follow my content. I really live it. I really genuinely live it. I never make short-term financial decisions. Um, I'm always trying to bring more value to the other party. I do that for a couple reasons. Number one, I think I'm talented enough to get quite a bit in my 49. I also think it's unbelievable leverage. I also think it's a nice legacy. I think it's nice to do. I think it's a nice legacy to have. And I do that with my interpersonal relationships and I definitely do that with my businesses. So my principles guide everything. You're right, execution's everything. And I think what's interesting about the clouds and dirt metaphor is it helps people paint a picture of what I'm most worried about, which is I believe 99% of people listening to this podcast spend an ungodly amount of time in the middle. I'll give you an example of something in the middle. Process. Process is held on such a pedestal in modern business society and I find that to be in the middle. I understand its value but I do feel that if you push hard on the clouds, your religion, and you push hard on the dirt, the actual doing, that the process gets commoditized and you go faster. And so yes, I have principles of bringing more value, the lifetime value, attention, arbitrage as I mentioned earlier and then you know, I'm never too fancy to do. I mean, I will be honest with you, I think even this 30 minutes is a good example of that. I didn't over ask Rice, I have no clue how many people listen to your podcast. I'm never in a place where I think I'm too fancy to do the work and uh, I take a lot of pride that I'm a practitioner. I understand Facebook and Snapchat and Instagram, these platforms better than most because I use them multiple times every day, 365 days a year. I think it's a huge competitive advantage and I think I think that, you know, obviously you mentioned earlier uh, HBS and Harvard. You know, 
I think the thing that I've learned as not a good student and as an executor now that I'm 41 on the verge of being 42 years old is, man, a lot of things break down between theory and execution. And I am, uh, I'm absolutely obsessed with execution and I do think that theory at a lot of times sits in the middle. I think you have to push yourself to the clouds to a bigger calling and I think there's no better calling than the end consumer if you're building a consumer product. There's a lot of startups out there dreaming about becoming unicorns and you have been an investor of unicorns. But I also understand you have a very different perspective to business because I've heard a couple of interviews, particularly the recent one on Recode. So can you share a little bit about your philosophies, particularly in becoming sustainable, focusing on top line revenue and optimizing for, for profit? Yeah, I think uh, it's a great question and we got to speak to it a little bit before as well. Just, I'm just trying to make all of you who are listening jealous that you missed out on so much good stuff before we started the podcast, so I'll try to fill you in. Yeah, I, I think again, and I'm gonna give you a compliment, the fact that you used consumer-centric and you used practicality, I feel like a lot of people are confused by me. I think I do a very good job building a persona that makes it a little bit of an enigma. The fact that you've been able to synthesize me makes me think you're smart, which is interesting, and I, and I guess this is what it comes down to. My friends, we are living through the greatest era of financial arbitrage machines. When I hear unicorn, you know, yes, there's the companies that have been successful, but to me, I'm worried because I think most of the people that are deemed unicorns today are just rhinoceroses wearing outfits that look like a unicorn because a lot of the current unicorns are not sustainable with a macroeconomic slowdown. And so, you know, you brought up a great point, which is it may not be the way we manipulate economies, it may be something like war or something else that creates a need for liquid that will force a correction. I think that's exactly astute observation. And to me, the question is very simple. So for example, the business I run today, it's a $150 million a year revenue business, it makes some level of profit this year, the least that it ever has. However, if shit got difficult next year, even during the Great Depression, brands advertised. Right? Not everybody goes out of business. If shit hits the fan tomorrow, every brand in the world is gonna start scrutinizing how it spends its marketing dollars. I believe if every brand lost half of its marketing budget next year, everyone, that my company would grow 10X because they would have to scrutinize where they spend their money and spending it with us is far better than spending it with, you know, with uh, WPP agencies that wanna sell highly profitable television and programmatic banners. So for me, about that. Um, I think a lot of the unicorns are not profitable and they need the next round of capital and if that goes away, their businesses break and so I'm yelling because it's too late for you know Spotify or, or Ubers or all these big companies. They're on their way, they've, they're, they're on their way but there's a lot of young kids who are in the middle who are raising their A or their B who have no thought, none, of actually building a business, what they're trying to do is build a big enough valuation so that on their third fundraising round, they can take money off the table. The fact that there are kids who are able to get to a C and D round and are able to take tens and hundreds of millions of dollars off the table without ever building a successful business is clearly attractive. Um, That's fine for a founder or two, but when the shit hits the fan, that's not gonna be good for the investors and more importantly, in my opinion, the employees and, and I, I have a problem with that. Mm. Suppose today you can give, tell your 20-year-old self something on business, what would be the advice you give him that you should not do? That's a good question. I would say that your intuition is right. That as long as you don't die, this is a marathon, 
and it's a hell of a lot better to train for a marathon than a sprint, and, uh, and that's it. Like, I, you know, I can't, I'm so grateful for where I'm sitting today, heading into the prime of my business career with really deep fundamental skill sets that will help me navigate through no matter what happens going forward, both emotionally and in business. And so, um, I was a very unique kid. I built a very big business in my 20s and was still paying myself $60,000 a year and didn't need stuff because I wanted to be all time great. And uh, I kept reinvesting in my businesses instead of buying watches and sneakers and cars. And um, I wouldn't really want to say too much because I would be scared if I said something, that kid would do something differently than he did. Since we are in Asia, that most businesses are actually driven by family and one of the things I actually identified when I read Ask Gary V is that you also work in a family business too. And I think that's probably one of the most interesting and very under-talked in most of uh, your interviews. So I want to ask you, what is the experience like and how do you navigate the dynamics in working yeah, with family? Good. So I've been getting in tune with this a little bit more now that AJ has left VaynerMedia. This is probably the first time I've really operated in some pseudo capacity of not having family with me in my entire career, even though AJ's still on the you know cap table and things of that nature and I still talk to him about it. Um, though to his credit, he never asks and lets me do my thing. Um, it's probably the thing I'm most proud of. I think when people look back at my career and, and, and dig under the hood, which you know, even me saying that speaks to the audacity that I have and, and I wanna be an all-time entrepreneur, I really do. But not because I say it, because I execute. I'm very proud that from 22 to 34, I built my dad's business for him. To give you the answer for everybody who's listening because it's very hard, the reason I've been able to make family businesses work is because I love my dad and brother more than I like money. It's just really not complicated. Family businesses are difficult because it's, you're choosing between family and money. Let's make it very binary. You can, be, you can pull over on the side of the road right now, you can turn off your treadmill, you can stop walking your dog, I promise you, that's all that's happening. It's the love of your family member versus the money and what's overlaid and the hardest part is pride or the score as I call it. My biggest problem hasn't been the money, it's been the competitive nature of trying to figure out who's better, me and my dad, me and my brother. The thing that has been most difficult is the narrative on who's driving the ship, who's the best player on the team, and getting the respect back and forth. And I would say it was easier with my brother than it was with my dad, as it would, that would make sense. But I think the reason I've been able to be successful is a little bit of 51-49. As I talked about earlier, I do that with my, my two family members. But I would say this, it is easily the most difficult thing that I think most people have to go through because there's, first of all, it's hard enough to build a business. When you overlay the emotional baggage of family dynamics, insecurities, um, fairness, and I, you know, I also only worked with my brother who was 11 years younger. If my sister had joined the business and she was three and a half years younger than me, if she joined the wine business, that would have been another dynamic. Um, it is very difficult and I, I would tell everybody the following line. You've got to try your best to take a step back and think about the funeral of the other individuals and take that into account. The, the thing that always allowed me to navigate was I didn't want to be at my dad's funeral and have regret. And I felt that it was better to leave a lot of money on the table and bet on myself in the long term that I would be able to close the gap than to have no relationship with my father 
And I think you know, for a lot of Asian um, youngsters, I feel like the Russian and the Asian family dynamics are far more similar than let's say a Russian or Asian dynamic to an American family and so I think a lot of you are gonna understand that. I, but I will say this as well. I don't overreact either. I know your parents, like mine, expected respect. My dad wants respect just because he's my dad. Um, I think that only goes so far. And so if you wanna do something that is good for you legacy-wise and you feel good about when your parents are no longer in the picture, I recommend that. But, um, but I think you also have to draw lines in the sand for your own pride and your own life. And you, you have to be uh, okay with making tough decisions. And so I have a lot of empathy on this subject matter. Mm. So I wanna come to VaynerMedia. Because yes. you're coming to Asia with VaynerMedia. Yes. What inspired you to start VaynerMedia? And what is the mission and vision of your company? I wanna build the greatest marketing machine of all time. I call it the death star of marketing. It's why I created a holding company and why you'll hear me start saying VaynerX more than VaynerMedia because VaynerMedia is the agency part but I'm gonna be building out the publishing part with VaynerX. Um, uh, The vision was very simple. I thought I was a unique once in a generation marketer. I, I know how ridiculous of a statement that is but I needed to prove it to myself whether I was right or not. And I thought the best way to do that was to build an infrastructure and a company around my skill set. And then what I wanted to do was buy brands and run it through them. Uh, The Asian aspect of our expansion, and very much this trip is a little bit about getting acclimated to Singapore with an ambition to open an office here, um, is I just couldn't imagine you know, very tough to have world domination and not have a, have a play in, in Asia. So as I see the next 30 or 40 years working out in my career, I, I was invigorated with my trip to Hong Kong um, recently and I'm so excited about this trip. This is the beginning of a two day trip. Um, there's just clearly a different energy in, in entrepreneurship and uh, business that is a little bit more in tune with me. There's a reason why I think I can only live in New York, and even at, and this is a ridiculous thing to say, and even at times New York feels a little slow to me. Um, so I'm looking for that energy, that drug of high intensity, high pressure, uh, winner attitude, and I, I feel like Asia, intuitively I felt it, and it's been confirmed, and I'm excited to see how I feel in 48 hours, but, uh, but I'm excited about it. Mm-hmm. So. I know some of your customers because I went to the website. I know Budweiser, Unilever, Toyota, your major customers, but in specifically in US or Asia globally, who are your customers? Yeah, so we have Fortune 500 companies, you know, Johnson & Johnson, global Fortune 500 companies, Johnson & Johnson's and Chase and, and, and Budweiser ABI and um, Unilever and, and on and on and on. And so Turner Broadcasting, a lot of the TV clients out there in the US, GE, these are major companies with offices all around the world and, and a lot of our expansion is to do with a little bit of the pressure I feel that we have to become more global or we'll become too one dimensional. You know, For a lot of these companies as you can imagine, America is a huge market but every day becomes less of the percentage of their overall business. Um, and so we work with very big brands. Um, you know, we've built a division called Vayner Beta. We've built a division called Vayner Talent. So we want to work with smaller businesses because I don't want to lose that, that those roots. Um, but when we come to Asia, it will be focused first on the Fortune 1000, um, and then you know, call it 2022, 2023. I can start thinking about how to service 
small and medium-sized businesses in the region. Mm. And the business problems that your company is trying to solve for the customers, well, what are they? Every company in the world is overspending on marketing. Mm. Every that's one good, of them. That's a good mission statement. And so we would like, I just want the historical, I just want to be historically correct that I'm right about that statement. Mm. I know I am. And I think in hindsight, I'll, I'll win a lot of points in history. Um, so we are trying to get our brands to reallocate their dollars. And uh, every market is different. And so the way a Johnson & Johnson or a Unilever or a Budweiser or Chase or Toyota markets in America is gonna be different than the way they market in Malaysia or, or in South Korea. And I wanna be great at telling them what to do with their money and then produce the pictures, videos, and written words that help them achieve their business goals. Cool. So you just launched a pair of sneakers. What's yes. that about? <laughs> so this is a super fun thing. You know, for everybody who's in their uh, early 40s like I am, especially if you had the luxury of growing up in America, um, sneaker culture is very big globally now. But I was a child of the 80s when the Jordans and the Ewings and the Barclays and the Larry Birds and Magic Johnsons, when sports sneakers became a thing. I was reached out to by K-Swiss about a year and a half ago. Um, and they said, look, Adidas has won by aligning itself with Kanye and they've won you know, urban culture. Uh, you know, Obviously Nike and, and Under Armour are playing in sports culture. We think that entrepreneurship is a new pillar of fame and we think you're the face for it and would you consider doing a sneaker before he finished, Barney, the president of K-Swiss, before he finished the statement, I said yes. Um, because it was a win, I always say yes fast when it's win-win. The way I saw it is I also agree that entrepreneurship is now on a cultural pedestal and I don't think it's going away anytime soon. So I expect other entrepreneurs to have sneakers. And uh, for me, being the first is always interesting. So that was number one. And then number two, if it didn't work, it would be a fun you know, kind of side note for me and my buddies to make fun of my audacity that I thought I was cool enough to have a sneaker and it flopped and I have 5,000 pairs sitting in my garage. Mm. That's interesting. So, you're in Asia now. Yes. I mean, I, I definitely get the motivation why you came from the US to Asia. Yes. Since you are in Singapore and you've also been to Hong Kong, what yes. are your first impressions of Asia with these two cities? So, my, my biggest impression, and I've spent a lot of time also watching from afar, and when I say watching afar, signing into WeChats and, uh, and Q and all these things, and so, it's just a different level of rawness that I appreciate. And I don't, you know, I hate when Americans or Europeans speak to, oh, the ethics are not as good. It's all loser talk. They're coming up with excuses. I think there's a level of ambition, a level of uh, perseverance, and a level of can-do attitude that is intoxicating for real entrepreneurs. and. Uh, and so that is my first impression, that people are hungry. Mm. And uh, now look, I think China is an incredibly intriguing cloud, and I don't use cloud as a bad thing, uh, but it is a thing that I think, you know, the Asian market always thinks about what are they up to, it's, it's a thing. And uh, you know, I think that's intriguing. So I think it's a little early for me to make a thoughtful statement I bought cryptocurrency in 2013 and 14 and I'm still not on the record on my thoughts on it. <laughs> so it's tough for me to think about making my official Asian POV, but the people have been so disproportionately interesting to me. 
Um, it's the ambition. The ambition's real. Yep, I totally agree. So it comes to the closing. So I want to ask you two things. One is, can you recommend something that has profound influence in your life in the form of a book, podcast, or media? So this is a tough question for me. I'm a very unique guy. The answer is sure, but it's gonna be a uniquely interesting answer, which is my audience. So uh, for example, I just connected from Hong Kong to Singapore. Four hour flight, I slept, so even though it was nighttime and I was trying to get tired, what did I do? The guy next to me is watching a movie. Other people are doing all sorts of different things on our electronic devices. I spent four straight hours reading comments from people on my content. So I think the reason that I'm a good culture, consumer-centric strategist is because I probably spend more time reading comments than anybody I've ever heard of. So when I used to talk about, and thank you economy, engage, you know, when I talk about reply to everybody mm-hmm. and things of that nature, what I didn't realize in 2011 that I now do in 2017 was I was already reading everyone, so the addition of replying seemed like a very lightweight ask. And that has been unbelievably effective for me. So that has been my greatest impact on me, which has been the audience itself. So I would definitely check out all the comments and <laughs> uh, drop you a note. Please. So my last question, and I think this is re- for me to you is a dumb question. How can my audience find you? They can find you almost everywhere, right? Yes, I mean, they can. Is, they, you know, I, and ironically, one of our big strategies is also to build out my, my um, mainland China profiles as well. But I would say facebook.com slash Gary or the podcast is being consumed unbelievably globally. So the Gary V audio experience in a lot of you know iTunes or Google Play or Stitcher or Spotify or things of that nature. Um, so, or you can Google or search Gary VEE. Usually something will pop up. Guys, thanks so much for listening to the audio experience. It would mean the world, and I mean the world, if you could go and leave a rating on iTunes. Your word of mouth is my oxygen.